This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hello, welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Dan from Shares and I'm joined by Laura from AJ Bell. Hi there. So on this week's episode, we're going to discuss changes to income funds, free financial help available to people, what's happening to small cap stocks, and looking at the companies opening for business again, and how investors are reacting. So first, let's do a quick check-in on markets. So what's been happening this week, Dan? Ooh, it's been quite a good one. The FTSE is back above the 6,000 level. So the last time we saw it this high was the first week of March. Um, so if you think that the, the stock market did a little tumble in February and then into freefall during March, so um, you're seeing loads of stuff recovering quite a lot of the sort of lost territory this year. And in the US, similar sort of behavior, really, sort of stocks shooting upwards. So over the last week, um, 302 of the FTSE 350 stocks have risen in value and 61 of these were up by 10% or more. So you know, some decent That's a massive turnaround, isn't it, from what we were talking about even a month, six weeks ago? Yeah, I, 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 just, I just sense there's some investors are feeling a bit more confident about what's going on. Um, whether this is right or not, I don't know. We are still faced with lots of negative news at the moment. But um, from a stock market perspective, I think the sort of the, you're seeing stuff on the news which talks about different countries. Um, Sort of easing their sort of lockdown restrictions and, and sort of and then looking at sort of the death rates potentially peaked in in many parts of the world. So I think you know the stock market's forward looking. So investors perhaps are sort of focusing on are we taking sort of baby steps to getting back to normal life again? There's also the central banks are giving lots of support to the market. So really, um, it's been not a bad week, really, all things considered for, for an investor. This is an unusually sunny outlook from you. I like it. I know, I know. Considering as we're recording, it's miserable with rain. <laughs> um, uh, but no, I mean, I think so. Against this backdrop, it is worth pointing out that the oil price has continued to be very weak. So Brent crude hit just around about nineteen dollars. Um, this is towards the end of April. In the in sort of the couple of days before we're recording this, it started to pick up a bit. U.S. inventories climbed a bit less than expected, but um, you know a weak oil price is perhaps uh, another way of the world giving a view about what where it thinks about the sort of global economy. So obviously not doesn't have great ex, um, a great view of it at the moment. It's also interesting to see HSBC was reporting its um, quarterly results the other day, and two and a half percent of all its loans are linked to the oil and gas sector. So um, it, it was sort of grumbling about that sort of area. So you, I think you'll see um, the impact on uh, sort of the finances of oil companies is not going to be very pretty going going forward, sort of near term. And so this week we've also seen quite a few companies talk about opening their doors again. So whether that's Things like DIY chains like B&Q and Homebase or some food outlets like Greg's or KFC or some of the big home builders even have started restarting building work. So presumably that's another bit of good news from investors' point of view. Absolutely. I mean, so if you sort of take a step back, you've had during the last sort of, I don't know, five, six weeks, you've had some businesses have still been able to, to operate. So we've had Dixon's just come out and say it's seen 
um, 166% rise in UK online sales in the last five weeks. Um, and then in you've had construction equipment rental group, Ashted, it said, which operates mostly in the US, sort of saying, well, actually, quite a lot of his business has just been functioning as normal. But, but we're now seeing quite a few businesses, particularly in the UK, sort of saying, well, um, we think the time is right for us to start doing more stuff. So house borders in particular, now, they have been selling houses remotely throughout the crisis, which is quite interesting. Um, but they, they're all sort of saying, well, we're going to sort of pick up our tools again. We're going back to the construction sites. So it sends a positive message that some businesses are starting to um, essentially generate a bit more revenue, potentially near term. And then if house builders are getting back to work, well, what about all its suppliers? So um, just before we were recording this, I was having a look at shares in Brickmakers, um, Clearly, if housemakers are doing stuff, then they're going to need bricks to be building these houses. So that's why you've seen like Forterra and Ibstock's share price rise as well. So it, it, it does sort of, it gives this sort of sense of hope that um, normal life could just be round the corner. But we'll, I don't know how long we have to wait, but um, it is good. It is good for investors' sentiment. So it should be pointed out that um, all of these businesses were businesses that could have stayed open. So there wasn't like a government decree saying that they had to shut like there has been with other businesses. It's more just that they took a, a view from a company point of view that it wasn't safe to continue or they needed time to work out how to reopen. So I think what you're saying is right, is that it's encouraging that these companies have worked out safe ways of working um, and kind of moderate openings in different places um, and they've adapted basically to the new new way of working um, so that they can reopen. Yeah, I mean, it's something like B&Q is talking about, you know, it's reopening physical shops now, just a few of them. As a, it's done a pilot and now it's sort of opening a bit more, but I don't know about you, Laura. I, I, I sort of thought, oh, perhaps I'll get some DIY stuff. So I, I um, tried to get a click and collect slot, but it's, everything is booked up for weeks and weeks. There's no chance of me being able to make my make my house look even remotely better than it um than its poor standards that it already is so <laughs> i have noticed that lots of people's gardens are looking very nice as i go around on my daily walk so um clearly a lot of uh, kind of garden centers have been doing well out of this yeah well i mean the garden centers are, uh, most of them are shut i don't know if they're doing online um orders but you know uh, we had a delivery of some compost a few weeks ago from um, a sort of a specialist place, but generally, yeah, I think it's I think people perhaps they're making the most of what they've got in the house, and you know, they perhaps don't people don't always need to buy new things to to make things look better. But uh, I, you know, so Laura, are you, are you sort of itching for a certain shop to open so you can um, reacquaint yourself with perhaps one of your favourite items? Mine is so dull. I want all of the builders' yards to open because I'm currently living in a building site. And if they open, then my builders can come back and finish building my house and I don't have to live in a dust pit anymore. So mine's probably not as exciting. But then after that, probably the pub. Surely everyone wants the pub to open. I think so. But it, you know, from, from sort of the guidance we seem to be getting that it could be quite a long time before we get um, sort of pubs opening. Um, I, I've sort of seen, you know, just talk about Greg's reopening. And I know on if you look at the internet, there's quite a lot of videos going about on the moment how to recreate their products, like how to recreate a sausage, bean and cheese melt. But I, I do think <laughs> people sort of craving the real thing, um, perhaps you know, with a bit of social distancing style, queuing and sensible behavior, you, you might see 
um, some shops like that be able to cope with you know taking sort of one customer at a time through the doors or greg's home delivery surely that's the dream for so many people Ooh, never thought of that yeah <laughs> oh well <laughs> i'll uh, i know what i'll be doing racing after this recording checking that out so <laughs> and so one area that's not likely to rebound soon is income funds uh what with all so many companies cutting dividends but there was a big change actually just been announced for from the industry about income funds so laura what, what's actually happening there so obviously we've talked a lot about the fact that companies are cutting their dividends and that affects investors who are invested directly in those stocks, but also has a big impact on income funds. So whether that's UK income funds or global income funds. And so they're likely to see a big drop in payouts. And we've seen managers come out and say that they could see 40% or more cuts to the, the payouts that they make from their income funds. So as a result of this, the Investment Association, which is a trade body that creates all of the sectors that funds sit within, um, have changed the criteria for being eligible for their sectors. So it gets a little bit techy, but bear with me. So um, to sit within a certain sector, so to sit within the UK equity income fund sector, there are certain rules on the amount of income that you have to pay out to investors. So you have to generate income of at least 90% of the income that's generated, the yield that's generated on the FTSE All Share over each year. Um, and over three years, you have to generate um, equivalent income to 100% of what that index generates. And this is basically intended so that when you look at that peer group and you look at that sector, you're comparing like with like with funds that are really focused on income rather than just generating a bit of income as an afterthought. Um, and what the Investment Association has done is suspended these rules. So it said that funds no longer have to meet those criteria um, in acknowledgement of the extreme market circumstances we're in and the fact that so many income um, generating stocks are cutting their yields. And so what happens if you don't meet these criteria is you get kicked out of the sector. So some people might remember that that's happened before to some quite high profile income funds. So including Neil Woodford's. Do you remember him? He, he was a thing, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> his fund, um, before before the uh, troubles at the end of his fund, um, got kicked out of this particular sector because it didn't meet the yield requirement um, for funds. And then it gets rolled into another um, uh, broader sector and doesn't get kind of classed along with other income funds like for like. And so essentially, if lots of funds had not been able to meet this yield requirement because so many dividends have been cut, then you would have seen the sector effectively obliterated of all funds because they would have all been kicked out for not meeting the requirements. So the Investment Association has done this for the UK equity income sector and the global equity income sector. And is there a sort of certain time period that this um, rule relaxation lasts for or is it just until they, they've decided that things are getting back to normal? So for the, the annual test, um, they've said for a year from February, the rule doesn't apply. Um, and then the three-year rule has been suspended, but they will, said that they'll revisit that. So I think they're essentially waiting to see how long this period of market abnormality lasts and how much of an impact it's likely to have on those three-year figures. And lots of people might think, well, so what, this is quite a, a techie change to sector stuff and lots of investors when they're looking at funds might not even consider these sectors in that much detail. But I think what it does mean is that when you're looking and you're comparing a fund, when you're weighing up its performance and you're comparing that fund to its peer group, 
it means that that peer group is going to be actually representative of of equivalent funds rather than half of that peer group being kicked out of that sector and you looking at a much smaller sample. Um, I think it also means that you don't end up with fund managers who are just trying to chase the the few remaining solid income paying stocks just to meet this what now seems like quite an arbitrary yield target um, just to stay within the sector. So it means that you're not going to get you hopefully won't get so much clustering from these fund managers around the few stocks that are still paying um, dividends. But also, I think it just highlights that it's such an extraordinary time that they've had to suspend this, which I can't remember them having done before. Um, And it just highlights the kind of very weird markets we're in, but also the particularly tricky time it is for income investing, which is lots of people out there, and particularly those that are kind of pension age and relying on that income to, to fund their lifestyles. Well, it's probably worth pointing out that when when you look at funds um, on sort of financial platforms, they'll, they'll, they might quote you a yield figure, but this is this is based on what the, the fund has done over the last twelve months. It's not a forecast, so um, perhaps don't expect to automatically get the same thing again. Particularly if so many companies have been cutting dividends. So, I guess one advantage of investment trusts over normal investment funds is that they can um, hold back fifteen percent of their Sort of revenue each year to help smooth out dividends. I, I think for anyone looking for income, you know, there are definite advantages with investment trusts in the current situation. Um, and perhaps we'll, we'll look at the whole sort of income fund um, subject in a bit more detail um, in, in a future podcast. So we've talked about companies doing good in the current climate, and um, we've got some good examples in the financial advice area now. So Laura, tell us, tell us this good news. We like good news. Yeah, it's really nice actually. It's um so lots of independent financial advisors have got together um and they're offering free financial advice for people that are in need. So there's obviously lots of people whose um finances have been impacted by the crisis so far. Um and who might have lots of questions now about how they should structure their investments or which savings they should use first or even more complex questions about taking money out of their pension, for example. Um, and so someone called Billy Burrows, who's a financial advisor, has set up um, this scheme called Emergency Financial Advice. And lots of fin- other financial advisors are donating their time and people can send in questions to these advisors and get responses or they can have a free telephone call with a financial advisor to talk about some of their questions and, and to get some guidance and, and help on it, which I think is really good. So how, do, how what, where do people go to get this information? So you go to the website is called emergencyfinancialadvice.org. Um, and the criteria are that you have to be over the age of 50. Um, and then they, they will talk to you and you fill out a form and then you can book in a call as well. That's very good. I mean, it's this, it's, you know, it's exactly what I think a lot of people will be looking for, um, that sort of help at the moment. And, and, and you know, for an industry that um, people perhaps assume is extremely expensive to use, you know, the, the ability to get free financial advice mustn't be overlooked. So the average cost of financial advice um, on average across the country is around £150 an hour. So to get even a free hour um, consultation is saving you quite a lot of money and I think a lot of it might just be giving people peace of mind at the moment but it's probably worth flagging other free services that are out there as well so there's things like um, citizens advice which is still operating so normally people would think of going into their local bureau but I think um, 
most if not all of them are closed now but they're still offering a service online um, and over the phone so you can still contact and speak to advisors over the phone and then there's lots of others so things like the government's money advice service or national debt line if you've got debt questions or step change so there's lots of resources out there for people who um, have questions and, and might not know the answer to them or might not necessarily where, know where to go. Citizens Advisor is probably a good broad one to start with and then they might be able to direct you to a more kind of um, focused service. Brilliant. Well, thanks, Laura. That's really, really helpful. So, so just finally, I caught up with fund manager Anna McDonald from Amati Global Investors uh, to talk about the world of small caps. So Anna talked to me about what she's been buying and selling during the coronavirus market sell-off and how she thinks the space is coping at the moment. So let's listen to that interview now. So I'm here today with Anna McDonald, who's a fund manager for Amati, where she specialises in smaller company investments. So Anna, how have small caps performed during the sort of the recent market sell-off? Um, they have been surprisingly uh, resilient, I would say. It's actually, if we well, if we take you through how the different indexes have, have done so far this year, the FTSE 100 is off 23.5%. The FTSE 250 is off 32.2%. The small caps off just under 30%. And the AIMIN index is off just over 20%. So, I mean, they haven't <clears throat> fallen out of bed um, um, as they did do in previous crises like the the financial crisis when we saw small caps and the AIM market really, really collapse. So um, they've been reasonably resilient. Um, and um, we, as small cap investors, invest primarily in the small cap, the lower end of the FTSE 250 and the AIM market. Okay, so what did you? It, I know that the market sort of has started to sort of show some sort of recovery in recent weeks. Um, do you, has everything sort of been moving in tandem, going back up again, or, or have you seen actually small caps might have um, done a bit better than larger caps? I'm not sure whether you've you've done that sort of analysis. But... Yeah, in the rally, small caps are up about twenty one percent, and the AIM market's up all of of 30% since the bottom. So that has actually outpaced the FTSE 100. And I think that's, um, you know, we are seeing the FTSE 100 is probably a victim of also containing an awful lot of of um, banks, oil and gas stocks and insurers, which have obviously been very um, sluggish. Um, whereas we have seen some, some pretty good performance out of small cap. Um, I mean, initially there was, you know, as you know, a lot of panic. The market was in in free fall. And we are seeing now that companies and answer now trying to sort of quantify things a little bit better and see how companies will will deal with the lockdown and deal with coming out of whatever phases that we're going to um, come out, come out with. So. I think the there are some really good quality um, names on on the AIM market and in the small cap market that have done pretty well. We are seeing still a, a real enthusiasm for quality stocks, so stocks that um, maybe have some short term issues with what they're seeing, but um, 
but um, have have very good um, management teams. And there's a lot of enthusiasm for supporting those kind of companies in the market. So they've done well. What we haven't seen is any kind of rush into value stocks because I think they are still we're, some of them were still quite troubled before the crisis and there just hasn't been that investor enthusiasm so I say it's 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 investors keen on quality and that can be in the consumer sector it can be in um, in um, all sorts of sectors but even in the consumer sector which is probably pretty hit by the um, by the lockdown yeah well, are you sort of making stock decisions based on what you think might happen? near term or, or longer term because i noticed that you'd sold your stake in hollywood bowl tempin bowling company earlier in march um now obviously you know none of us are going to be out um, doing tempin bowling at the moment we're in lockdown but um in the longer term i know lots of people liked this business um so what what was your reasons to get out for that because to me i've seen hollywood bowl being described as a quality company in the leisure sector it's definitely a quality company in the leisure sector, and I think that um, um, that it's it's very well run. I think um, in early March, just as we were, you know, we were seeing what had happened in China, and at first it seemed, I think, um, like we were considering, you know, lots of things. Uh, uh, you know, is it going to be a supply issue? Are we going to get goods from China and things like that? That's what the market was worried about. Then comes February. And the unfolding crisis, I'd say, in in Italy, and we could kind of feel this feel this sort of pandemic making its way towards us, and we looked at our consumer holdings, and um, we we took a view to to reduce some where you know we felt that um, you know a lock you know they they would st- they would have an awful lot of pressure in 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 the in the lockdown. Um, Phase because obviously you weren't going to go bowling. Um, now there are other consumer stocks that have actually um, done okay, and we did actually, you know, bottom. At the, we did buy some more gym group um, at a lower level, um, and um, so we aren't completely out of consumer stocks. But yes, you're right. Hollywood Bowl is a quality play, and and it's and I I didn't particularly you know feel that. Um, you know, in in other circumstances, I was a very enthusiastic holder of it. It was just thinking, let's have let's um, reduce some exposure to the consumer sector. Let's build up a bit of cash so that we're sitting able to either fund redemptions should we receive them, which we haven't, or secondly, partake in in in, in equity fundraisers as they come through. Yeah, what, what do you think of all these? Um, placings at the moment being done by companies because I mean there, there's lots of them. I presume, as an institutional investor, you, is this good because you get to buy a chunk of uh, you know a big chunk of a company potentially, uh, which you may not be able to normally do on the market. Yes, I mean it is. It's a it's a good liquidity opportunity because liquidity has been very variable over the last uh, few weeks and months. But I think that what you're seeing. Is almost things are just coming thick and fast, um, particularly in the sectors that I look at. You know that it's not unusual to be receive one or two wall crossings, as we call them, um, notifications of upcoming placings, um, and that um, you know it, it seems they're coming much thicker and faster. Whereas I see the recovery is going to be much more nuanced in terms of which stocks are going to be able to trade coming out of this crisis, and actually how we're going to feel about 
about about um, for example travel and hospitality at the end of all this. So I I'm I'm finding it you know it's extremely um, and intensive, and I think that companies are as they see others come to the market and manage to pretty successfully raise at sometimes very um, small or in the case no discount sometimes no discounts at all to the to the share price um, I think that um, that's just encouraging more and more in case that that investor enthusiasm runs out of supporting these fundraisers um, so I mean we have chosen I've, I've spoken to a lot of companies um, over the last few weeks who are doing fundraising uh, fundraisings and um, and most of the time we have we haven't um, participated. Um, we're biding our time and waiting for what we see are the right ones. Yes. What? what I mean, what? What have you? Um, are you able to talk about what perhaps you've been? You have actually been buying then, um, perhaps since the, since the lockdown began and, and some opportunities, uh, you know, much lower prices have been presented. Have you been buying stuff at all? Or? Yes. Um, we bought, for example, um, we have been buying. Um, Gear for Music. Um, they had um, actually just today a very strong year-end um, statement, and um, there's been limited impact on their business from the coronavirus because Gear for Music do and um, they're an online retailer of a huge number of musical instruments and associated products like I don't know guitar strings and clarinet reeds, um, and um, they are doing really really well as as um the they have a growing customer base who are now discovering that during this time they particularly like to play music at home i visited their warehouse and met management several times and having seen their warehouse i can see how um they are able to actually keep social distancing whilst 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 still keeping the the business going and the deliveries going Yes, I certainly know some of my one of my colleagues has said he bought a violin uh, and my daughter's been she's been annoying us playing the ukulele nonstop. So it's I can I can imagine I can yeah, I can see why they they, they seem to be doing quite well. How about how about you, Anna? Have you have you taken up any instruments during the lockdown? No, I haven't taken up any instruments during the lockdown, but my daughters are well, one of them is actually a very, very good clarinet and bass guitar player. And the other one, I'm afraid I also suffer from the ukulele, um, <laughs> the ukulele strumming, which is, um, which is, um, it's very sweet, actually. <laughs> I think, I think, I think I'm just lucky it hasn't been violin. Um, yeah. I think that's a very challenging um, instrument. Um, I'm just thinking about other stocks that we've added to. I mean, there's another one, which is one of our larger holdings, um, is Softcat. Now, I have one of uh, a sim slightly similar company today, Computer Center, um, um, has, you know, had a trading statement where, you know, they're not saying, they're saying the Q1 trading statement saying that trading is more robust than expected. And Softcat too, these do, these are um, resellers of, 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 of computers and software. Um, and, um, you know, they're seeing a huge spike in demand because of kit for people to work from home, the need for network resilience. And um, so that's been that's been also um, very positive and something that we've been that we've been keen to. Yeah. What, what, what if there was another market sell off? What are you still sitting on quite a bit of cash so you could go sort of shopping for more stuff or um, 
have you sort of taken the view that actually we've seen the worst and it's a slow recovery from here? Oh, well, that it's, that's a, 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 a tricky one because we, um, we have, we built up quite a lot of cash um, coming into the sell-off, um, which was reasonably frustrating given that, um, after Brexit, you know, we uh, after the after Brexit, if only we're after Brexit, if only we haven't actually reached that point yet, have we? But what I mean is, after the general election in December, there seemed to be more a little bit more clarity, and um, we were we at that stage had been reducing reducing cash levels, um, but we built them up again. Um, as I say, to, to be, you know, I suppose fleeter of foot, and also to be able to cope with cope with some redemptions. We have started to reduce those levels and invest in, you know, as I've mentioned, things like Gear for Music, Softcat, and other stocks uh, such as Spirant. Um, now we are doing that because um, we feel, you know, a level of confidence about about those uh, those companies and 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 um, their their the way that they should be positioned in our portfolio, but also because we're thinking that you know from a that cash is probably not the place place to be if we are seeing that you know these huge government injections of cash and um, central bank injections are you know may lead to some inflationary um, pressures over the next eighteen months or so, and so therefore we think that you know being in real assets like equities is probably the right place to be at the moment we're high single digit cash which is still a bit more elevated than usual but we are always on the lookout for you know for opportunities yeah well how are you finding it in terms of being able to talk to companies to understand what they're doing are they are you still able to sort of pick up the phone and, and talk to them or, or are you finding that um, companies are a bit more shut off from sort of everyone else because they're just so focused on trying to get through this this difficult time. Well, I think um, we're getting pretty good contact. Um, obviously, we're we're speaking to companies that wish to do fundraisings. I mean, that's that's the onus is on them. They want to speak to us, really. But I found that management are actually um, quite happy to 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 talk. Um, sometimes we just you know we will ring them up ourselves or send them an email. Um, and I think they've been quite open. I mean, of course, this is this is a really difficult time from for 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 anyone, you know, in terms of for how the companies and analysts are trying to quantify, you know, this 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 crisis. And um, so I think that that companies are are fairly are fairly open. Um, and I'd probably worry about the ones that. You know, even if even any communication is better than no communication at all. Obviously, we saw that period when there were no results happening, but those are now all starting to come through. And my diary is, you know, is busy with um, management meetings. Um, obviously, they're all remote. Um, so I've got in about an hour's time, I'm going to be speaking to Boohoo. And um, I've got a meeting coming up with um, Sumo um, is a company that um, em employs about 750 people. And um, the really Big studios like Apple and Microsoft and Sony trust them to do a lot of their um, high value added um, games development. Um, and they also do some of their own um, 
IP, as we call it, their own games development of 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 games that their staff have um, have 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 made. So this is a is it? Are they do the ones that do the overcooked? Is that them or is that no? Trouble? That's Team Seventeen, oh, <laughs> which is a, yeah. a is more like a to think about Team Seventeen is it's more like a, a record label that picks great games and develop helps them be developed and 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 publishes them. Sumo actually. Um, work with uh, work with those big guys like Microsoft and develop games. Yeah, I mean, this, the video game sector overall, I, I'd imagine, is must be doing quite well if we're all sitting at home and um, you know people be looking for new games to buy to keep the sums off. Absolutely, it's received. You know, there's been some phenomenal growth, um, and there, so there are definitely. You know, you've got there are definitely winners out of this out of this crisis. I suppose. The caution overall is 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 from a you know a consumer confidence point of view coming out of this. If we're all feeling very you know what will we want to spend our discretionary money uh, discretionary income if we do have any what we want to spend it on? And it seems that you know there has been a sort of tectonic shift really hasn't there to to things like Netflix and computer gaming and 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 ordering you know retail and whether that's clothing or food etc online yeah so do you invest just in uh companies that actually generate revenue or are you happy to back a loss making business at the moment um we don't have many um loss making businesses in the smaller companies fund um the venture, the AIM VCT that we run is 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 obviously slightly different. That's looking at um, um, companies that are most of the time um, not making a profit, and we're looking to to back them at an early stage and hoping that over the years to come they they will become profitable um, enterprises, um, which many of them have done. Some of our most successful holdings in um, in in the VCT are companies such as Keyword Studios, which is another computer game outsourcer, um, and Tristel, which you know they produces disinfectant products, um, and they are um, sold exclusively to medical professionals. And obviously, at this stage and with this crisis. They're doing um, extremely well, so that's one of our largest holdings in the VCT. Yeah, because well, I was wondering if if there are lots of companies going out at the moment to to try and raise new money, whether investors might prefer to to back revenue generating ones rather than sort of loss making ones. Because I know, obviously, you say you follow the AIM market, and and that that market as a whole does contain a lot of very small junior companies that are still in the early stages of, of trying to, to perhaps commercialize their ideas and stuff. But um, do you think that that, that parlor market might struggle a bit at the moment? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think we are fairly positive actually on the outlook for, for healthcare stocks broadly. Now, obviously there are ones which, are very well developed that are generating revenues that are generating profits and that you know should actually do well with this massively increased healthcare spend that that we're seeing and we've got those in the smaller companies funds such as Oxford Biomedica which is a leading vaccine developer now they will um, be able to you know they're not seeing any 
any fall off in demand at the moment and they've got a good pipeline of deals coming through but also if they've just announced that you know they are um, going to be able to um, help COVID-19 COVID vaccine development developers because they will be able to use spare manufacturing capacity that they have to be able to really ramp up the vaccine dis, you know um, manufacturer once once we get one that works so um, that's a company that's that's doing well and generating and generating um, profits which we also think has got some um, interesting angle with with coronavirus but in the VCT you know there's been some um, or in the sort of sorry, I, not just in our VCT, but you know we we are seeing a lot of enthusiasm for stocks that um, just even mention COVID nineteen in a in a in a press release. So I think there is definitely appetite out there because this is a huge prize to go for, um, and it's something that's uh, you know there's a real global concerted effort whether it's to find treatments that um, help people who are suffering from coronavirus. We have invested in a company which um, called Synergen in, in the Venture Capital Trust um, that's running a, dry, a, trial, a dry, trial on an already established drug to see if it can help those in the later severe stages of the infection. Um, and um, so we've got, we've got stocks that are, 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 are looking to treat um, coronavirus, but also as um, we are looking to others that are working with pharmaceutical companies to help them find vaccines. Um, so it's, it's, there is, there is a lot of, there's a lot of um, investor enthusiasm. So yes, I see your point, perhaps that you'd be wanting to participate in stocks that are, are, are actually, you know, still functioning and making, yeah. and making money. But I do think there is still, there's a huge prize out there. And, okay. um, and I, I don't mean that in a sort of that sounds very uh, mercurial. I mean there is a there, the prize is 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 actually I think to try and make sure that this you know pandemic comes to an end with the least loss of life possible. And um, and I think that's the most important thing. Um, that's what we all want. Um, and you know we do we want to invest in companies that are going to be able to help deliver that. Perfect. Well, Anna, thank you ever so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you. Thanks a lot for listening this week. We've had some great suggestions for topics that you guys want to hear about. So we'll be covering them in the next couple of weeks, but definitely keep them coming in. And also, if you think of anyone particular that you want us to interview or speak to or ask particular questions of, um, then definitely let us know and we will do our best to track them down. So send any of those suggestions to podcast at ajbell.co.uk. And otherwise, we'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.